knew that, right? Today I bring you a conversation uh, with the writer and uh, teacher, Gint R.S. We talk about uh, ethnic identity, uh, we talk about immigration, uh, his uh, Lithuanian heritage, his nearly 20 years of teaching uh, at a community college in suburban Chicago uh, and his experiences uh, in and out of the literary world. Um, I hope you enjoy the talk as much as I did. So what would you like to talk about? Oh, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> Everything. Every, yeah. Let's talk about everything. Let's start at the beginning. How's yeah. how's how's your morning going so far? We can start with that. The, the morning. Uh, this the, the Wednesdays are easier for me than Tuesdays and Thursdays are because yeah. Uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have to um, make it out to work for actual live uh, classes. The rest of the time, I'm teaching online. Where but, where uh, where are you teaching these days? I, I work at Morton College as a yeah. as an English and um, humanities instructor. And you've been there for I a teach while, the right? Film course. Yeah, I've been there since two thousand three. Oh wow! Yeah, it's Dang. almost twenty years. That's amazing. And uh, maybe for you. <laughs> well, no, no it's, it is. It's, it's, it's impressive. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a lot. It's amazing that that uh, yeah. It's amazing that 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 I've been able to maintain employment in a institution of higher learning for twenty years during this period of time that that's right that's pretty rare that's kind of right? what i mean <laughs> yeah you know so so from that point of view it's it's it is amazing and then the job was during the pandemic a miracle frankly um we all remained employed while well, most of us did mm. uh the institution and the students and most of my colleagues adapted on a dime to be yeah. able to keep working and um there was an enormous amount of support, frankly. Uh, I can't, I can't really complain about about anything like that. Uh, but when you look at yourself and you think, okay, I've been doing the same thing professionally for twenty years, uh, you begin to ha to ask more existential questions. You know, like, all right, well, why? You know, what is this simply a practical yeah. uh, relationship, right? Or is there is there something deeper? deeper in it that, 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 that keeps you there. Um, you know, finding academic jobs isn't easy. Yeah. Uh, and certainly not in a major Metro area like Chicago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there, there, there are a lot of benefits to it. Uh, including, you know, things that help raise a family like health insurance and, you know, a dental plan and, and all of right. that. But, uh, you know, the fact remains, you've been doing something for almost 20 years. And when you when you when that reality hits you, uh, especially on the eve of your 50th birthday, I'll be 50 in a year. Yeah, you start, you know, asking bigger, bigger questions about the meaning of life and um, the, the, the meaning of, you know, employment, occupation, career, all of these things. Oh, you, you feel people would, you feel like this is like one of those those time the. It's certainly that, uh, but it's not, you know, I, I, I have to be careful not to um, <laughs> paint myself into a corner here because, you know, conversations like these can sound really trite and cliche 
and uh, <laughs> cheap, right? Because it's just, you know, it's like a basic, you know, midlife crisis. Oh, my God, I'm a half a century old. Yeah. When am I going to die? Well, I mean, I faced that question uh, when I saw Dead Poets Society for the first time. And I, and I saw that film. <laughs> I saw that, I saw that <laughs> film when I was sixteen. You right? watched so, Dead Poet Society and it introduced you to the to the concept of mortality. <laughs> it, it did, it did, and I'm not and I'm a joke. I'm not joking about that. I mean, no, that's awesome, it, right? It, wow. It, it, the the question that uh, John Keating, the teacher played by Robin Williams in that film, and, and for listeners who have not seen it, you should certainly watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. There there are people in the world who believe that it might be Robin Williams' greatest role. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm in that camp, but but I, I entertain that argument. I'll, I'm certainly willing to listen to that argument and, and, and hear how people construct that. But the fact is that he takes out a bunch of uh, high school kids and he shows them photographs of high school kids who came before them mm-hmm. and who attended this posh um, uh, East Coast, you know, boarding school. Right. And says, look, these kids are they're all dead. Yeah, you know they're all they're all pushing up daisies, and uh, you know you got to seize the day, and you got to take take, you know, control of your life here, and 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 do what you want to do with this life because you got one, you know. And as a sixteen year old who was attending an all boys academy, I I went to a Catholic uh, high school in the western suburbs of Chicago, whose name I don't want to mention at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I I attended a um, a private school, a private Catholic school. So there was some similarity between my experience and the experience that these that these boys were having. Um, yeah. But the fact is that I was a young man of that age, and here comes John Keating, and and I felt like he was talking to me as a kid, and I thought, yeah, that that that's exactly it. And of course, because I was a bookworm and a nerd and and an aspiring writer, I got into all the transcendentalists immediately. You know, I read Walden immediately. I read Emerson immediately. I don't, I don't know if I understood very much of what Emerson was writing as a 16 year old, Mm. but I certainly understood that he was asking us to take responsibility for our own lives and to um, consider yourself to be something that requires cultivation and attention. Uh, I think that's what I got out of it at, at, at age 16 and the, go ahead. Oh, there, there was no uh, Professor Keating at your Catholic school, or nobody comparable. Oh God, no! Oh no, not even. No, 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 no. Nobody that no, no, inspiring, no. or even half not as inspiring. Even, okay. Not even close. You know, the question of whether or not John Keating is an inspiration or a problem is a good one. Um, mm. you know, and it's certainly. Yeah, it's I'd, certainly I'd have to something. rewatch that movie. It's I probably uh-huh. haven't seen it since it came out. <laughs> I've got to, uh, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I I saw it twice in my life, but mm. it was such an impactful experience really? that I um, that that it, it was one of these films that uh, I essentially memorized after one viewing. You know, wow. just because it was so. It, it just felt like such a thing that I needed at that moment, or, or at least that I was sensitive to at that moment. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Since that, since that time, I've certainly you know revised my my view of the film. I don't, I don't have a sixteen year old's opinion or experience um, of of that film, and I and I've watched it again. How old was I when I saw it again? I think I may have shown it to my wife recently. As a matter of fact, yeah, I, uh, because because I, I got remarried. Um, your your new wife, newish yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, met her once, yeah, I, I think, at, in passing somewhere at some event. Uh, uh, she remembers you. Yeah, she did. She, okay, you guys did did meet. Um, I think it was at one of your um, 
some li- some literary it, thing, you it know. It was a literary thing or, yeah. or, or, or a painting thing. It was one of those two things. Maybe. So, yeah, those are my two things. <laughs> so so I did I did show it to her and, and so uh, I did recently see it again like, a few years ago. Were you but, disappointed? Um, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I you know, I had a you know, I had a, a English professor's view of it instead of a high school kid's view of it. Yeah. Which, which is, you know, dramatically different. But uh the heart of the matter remained, you know, that that mortality is not something that I faced as a fifty year old or as a as a person mm-hmm. who's about to be fifty. It's something that I faced as a as a as a um, high school kid, and also, you know, um, you know, I'm a child of refugees, right? Uh, so, death was a constant conversation in you, any household that I was in. Yeah. You were born here, though, right? Yeah, I was born. Were, I was okay. born in Chicago. I was born yeah. in Cicero. Yeah, Cicero. Yeah, mm-hmm. Cicero, Illinois. And so, uh, listeners who might be outside of the Chicago area, Cicero is a um, is a suburb just west of Chicago. Yeah, just think Al Capone, and you'll get you get Al on the Capone, right track. Yeah. <laughs> Al Capone, sheet metal plants. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, corner bars, um, very slow trains moving down major streets like Sixteenth yeah. Street. Yeah, uh, I uh, heating oil plants, things like that. For a, a few months, uh, last last uh, spring, winter into spring, I uh, I taught a couple of drawing classes at Dominican University, mm-hmm. so I would bike through since Cicero sometimes to oh, get wow. the, to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the routes yeah. I could take. I had a, a lot of well, I live in Bridgeport, so there's a lot mm-hmm. of options of how I can go on a bike to uh, yeah, you, what's it called River Forest or River whatever Forest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there are there are routes that are more dangerous, routes mm-hmm. that are less dangerous, routes that offer different kinds of danger. Yeah, on one I, I'm interested in all the dangers, and mm-hmm. I also I don't feel the dangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, pro- maybe foolishly, but maybe not because of the many years of driving a cab here. Mm-hmm. I just I'm oh fa- sure I'm familiar with all these areas. I know what's there, and in my experience, if you don't project fear and you feel mm-hmm. like you know you act like you belong people just don't fucking bother you you know oh, there, there's, that's exactly it and <laughs> you know i've certainly biked through all of those neighborhoods um the the dangers that i'm more worried about are the not cars you know getting mugged i'm i'm, I'm worried yeah. about semi trucks and yeah yeah because like there are places there that just are not used to having bikes on the road yeah yeah i've taken uh, roosevelt road way west and that gets scary mm-hmm. in, in places because <laughs> people just don't they just don't see you and yeah and and it, it, you know, semi. So you'll you'll have a semi behind you mm-hmm. that that probably doesn't see you, and then some guy opens up his door. Yep. Right. Oh and yeah. You <laughs> and you have to choose, right? Okay, do I try to break hard? Do I try to swerve around it, mm-hmm. or do I hit the door? <laughs> you know. Yep. Yeah. Talk yeah. about existential uh, <laughs> questions yeah. of survival. Yeah. That. But anyway, so 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 the the. Immigrant question, right? The the refugee question was always on the table, and so death was on the table, and and so I did face that uh, as a as a substantially younger person than fifty. But um, you know, it's still it's still something that you know, career, uh, life arc, all of those questions come up. I think at at times when you realize, oh, in a year I will have been working somewhere for two decades, mm-hmm. and I'm almost fifty. So you know, does that require a shift, a change? Or can I just keep doing this and feel satisfied, you know? And that that's a question that I think appears quite often in my personal journal writing. 
Oh yeah. Oh, you, you keep a journal. Yeah, I do. I'm not as religious about it as I used to be just because, you know, life with kids requires me to uh, How- manage my time very carefully, but uh, I'll do it. You know, I'll, 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 I'll sit down and write major events from the last five days in a journal, major ideas of the last five, six days in a journal, something like that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, (laughs) the, the term midlife crisis is, gets, gets criticized, right? And it's Mm. like, oh, wow, you're one of those, man. You're one of these people who's facing this, this concept of, you know, seeing that most of your life is past. And I'll certainly admit that as a person of the age 30 or 35, or even, even as a 40 year old, I, I don't think that uh, when I turned 40 that I thought very carefully about, you know, what a midlife crisis is mm. or what the term crisis is. Yeah. But, you know, you know, let's just be serious about the word crisis for a second. You know, if someone comes to you and says, I'm facing a crisis. Yeah. Okay. Right. Do you laugh at them? Do you stop and say, Hey, you fool. Yeah. How, you know, when are you going to sort your marbles out here and, and deal with this? Um, you know, and especially if, you know, if that person is, uh, you know, a colleague, uh, someone yeah. who affects your capacity to do work, mm-hmm. uh, a family member, a, sure. you know, a neighbor who you might need to care for, you know, a- anybody like that um, impacts your life. And if they're, if they're having a crisis to some, on some level, it affects you too. If you're, empathetic yeah. enough to be to be mindful yeah. of that then it then it yeah. will now if you're not and if you're just selfish and you go about your day you know believing erroneously that you have made all of the decisions in your life that have led you to the point that you're at yeah and um and and congratulate yourself for how how, how amazingly well you handled all of those things well then you know there's no hope for you anyway and and and, and very 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 little will come from from a conversation with a person like that. But the, but generally speaking, most people uh, are, are are aware that we are interdependent. We we you know affect each other as we are affected by each other. Mm-hmm. And so, someone who's facing a crisis is bringing that crisis to you on yeah. some on some level. But the midlife crisis is one, especially when a guy has it. it yeah. You know, I I, I don't know if um if if. Uh, you know, some, some women would agree or disagree with me. I'd be really interested in hearing a woman's perspective, frankly. But uh, when a guy has a midlife crisis uh, and they express it in some way, uh, they are often either ridiculed or dismissed, you know. Right. Well, now, because instantly the picture you get is the red sports car and the girlfriend exactly, half, half exactly. your age. That's what exactly. That's what a midlife exactly. crisis for a middle-aged man is. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, you know, and that's that's the stereotype behind it, and and the decision behind it. Yeah. You, you know, the decision to buy a red sports car, yeah. uh, is rightfully viewed as some kind of expression of immaturity, right, or some kind of expression of. You know, it's it's a it, it's a of... it's a fear of a, a lack of virility, basically that you mm-hmm. can't get it up mm-hmm. anymore. That's what yeah. it. It's yeah. a substitute. It's a it's a penis substitute. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a <laughs> it's a an expression that you know that secret Viagra um, yeah. prescription isn't as secret as people think because right. here's my red sports car. Yeah, right. But there are other ways that people express that, and they yeah. and in you know in some cases they express it by virtue of changing careers, or by virtue of getting divorced, or by virtue yeah. of um, moving somewhere, uh, or by virtue of starting a new a new hobby or a new yeah. practice of some kind, or, or or even by 
doing something, you know, utterly and completely radical, like returning to church, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, sure. or, 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 or something like that. And so, you know, a person who is searching for meaning mm -hmm. is never ridiculed in an academic setting. That person is never ridiculed in an artistic setting. That person is never ridiculed, you know, at the family table or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when we use those, that phrase, midlife crisis, yeah. um, and, it, and frankly, it might be one reason why people who are facing that crisis keep it to themselves mm -hmm. uh, or, or share it with therapists or something like that. But that's instead of... it's interesting to me. Be, well, because, yeah, you, you're talking about this in the in uh, relation to your turning 50 and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I mean, obviously, you've gone through some of this stuff already. Well, you know, oh, of course, starting with divorce, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> which you mm -hmm. did whatever X amount of years ago. I don't know how many. So it was about five okay uh, so i mean i'm sure that was an actual you know a crisis right of, of, of a sort. oh that was a major crisis that was you know yeah. that was that was something that was building for essentially a decade well um, yeah i mean th these things don't come out of nowhere yeah like hardly yeah, ever they don't, they <laughs> yeah don't. and 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 that had less to do with aging or with with some larger perspective of, you know, your position in time, mm -hmm. um, and more to do with, you know, practical day to day things like, you know, why do I feel like shit yeah. every minute of the day, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and why is it always in one space and why is it always, you know, to do with essentially one person? Sure. Right. And, and when you, when you realize what the answer to that question is, yeah. uh, then, you know, managing it requires, you know, de depending on your point of view and depending on your resources, either finesse or uh, some sort of explosive device. Yeah. So, so that's you know that, that you know so many people have been married have gone through it and of course uh, and so you know I'm I'm probably preaching to a choir, but uh, that doesn't necessarily correlate with um with with these existential questions and my my divorce certainly did not. Mm. Uh, but my my writing kind of did um, the the book that I wrote the book the last book that I published which was a long time ago from my point of view mm -hmm. um, relief by execution mm -hmm. which is a memoir about a, a it, it's a memoir about my my upbringing and uh, it's tied to a trip that I took to Mauthausen a concentration to, uh, camp yeah to a concentration camp outside of outside of Linz Austria where I lived for for three years yeah. Um it, it, right. I, I, I faced a question that was posed to me by an immigrant, by a, by a Polish immigrant, mm -hmm. uh, which boiled down to this, that, you know, if you lived in Linz and mm -hmm. you consider yourself to be a, a European and I do, because I have a dual citizenship and, and, and I was raised by Europeans and, you know, L lucky Korean. you, some of us don't have that luxury, even no, though we some were, some, some of us were born in I guess, well, nominally Europe. I don't know if that place is really Europe that I was born in, but... <laughs> it was what, Kaliningrad or something? No, it's Where Moscow. <laughs> I was oh, born Moscow. in Moscow, but I don't know mm -hmm. what the fuck that is. Well, and mm -hmm. in, in view of current events, well, it's just mm -hmm. the world being reminded of what that place is and what it's always oh, yes. been. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's no, there should not be any confusion about what that place is. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, we were, now. we were, you know, we were also, you know, uh, we were stripped of citizenship as as soon as we left the the border, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we didn't have a choice, yeah. uh, but it was I, also I'm the Soviet in a Union. Minority. What's that? I'm in a minority when it comes to dual citizenship because uh, Lithuania doesn't, maybe the law has changed recently, although I doubt it, uh, but 
Lithuania doesn't allow dual citizenship. It allows dual citizenship only for one category of person, and that is um, a child of uh, displaced refugees. Oh, wow. Right. So if you if you were displaced, if you are born to the displaced abroad, yeah. right, and by abroad I mean outside of Lithuania, yeah, um, you qualify for Lithuanian citizenship, and so I I okay. I have that. So your parents uh, do not. Um, I I have no idea. Oh, if you do. I, okay. I think that they're qualified to uh, okay. Interesting. get it, but but I don't I don't know if they if they've ever bothered to 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 do that. Yeah. Um, I know that I know that there there are people in my family who are pursuing it, and I know that there are people who have who have completed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it. I did it because uh, for for a number of reasons. I mean, number one is that it's possible, and yeah. and then of course you know if you're in, a member of the EU, then you have all these options. Um, you can stay in the EU indefinitely, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually it would be much easier for me to retire uh, there. You don't sure. thought about that. And so, you know, that's a strong part of my identity. And so this Polish immigrant asked me, you know, if you're, you know, you're European and you think you're a writer, uh, but you lived in Linz for three years and you never went to Mauthausen, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? Yeah, and he was really critical of me. Um, yeah. So I wrote, I, I decided, well, this guy might be right. So I took a trip out there to, to visit. Um, with a mission in mind, which I don't want to necessarily give away, but one, one yeah. of the missions was to uh, to see, um, you know, what what happens when you wake up to the fact that you are a member of a culture who perpetrated the Holocaust. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what does a visit to a place like that do to your consciousness? And, right, for me, that was midlife. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was midlife. Like that was real. That was all right. Up, up until this point, you felt you were this, right? You were, you yeah. felt like you were someone who did not need to have this experience, but now here comes someone older and wiser, uh, and someone who seems to have a much keener gr- grip on the questions of history that, you know, a writer probably should be asking, mm-hmm. um, especially a writer who handles my kind of themes of, you know, displacement and, yeah. and um, you know, love and death and, and, and all these kinds of things. Uh, you know, here he comes and he says, you know, you should do this. And, and so I go and I do it. You know, I'm not going to be the same person after that. And so that was certainly a mile marker or a, or, a, or a post that said everything that came prior to this was in some way a half of something or, or, or something that approached a middle and then everything that comes after that is something that has moved away from that signpost, right, or that or that mm-hmm. middle. And I'm not I'm not necessarily talking in terms of time, yeah. But I'm talking in terms of consciousness, right? In terms of yeah. your awareness of yourself, your your self, your level of self awareness. And how how so old were that, you? How old were you when you were going through this experience before you wrote? That it? was what twenty fifteen, right? Oh, okay, yeah, pretty recent. Yeah, very recent. Um, yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was in my forties. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it impacted me dramatically. Right. Uh, I went, I went out there in the middle of the winter. So mm. it was, um, very cold outside. There were no tourists in Mauthausen at all. Yeah. The concentration camp was essentially empty. There might've been a dozen people there when I was there. So, yeah. you know, it's a massive space. So, so I was essentially wandering through the entire concentration camp by myself. There were very few instances 
during which I shared a space with someone else while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the moments when that did happen were in a cafeteria and in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the time I was wandering through by myself and um, it's cold, it's stark, it's gray, it's <laughs> you know light green, there's snow on the ground, you can hear it crunching under your feet. Yeah. Uh, it's echoing there and, um, you know, you'd, you, you'd have to be pretty crass to come out of an experience like that, uh, feeling like you're the same person that you were when you, when you entered. Did they have a train track going to it? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when I, I, I didn't really have, um, my bearings with me when I, when I left the train station. Yeah. Uh, I just saw a sign that said, hey, you know, concentration camp this way. So I said, okay, I'll just follow that sign. And I had a pretty good idea of how big Mauthausen was just because mm-hmm. I, I had lived in Austria and I looked at maps and things. But but I didn't have um, GPS in my phone. I was I was doing the, the travel on the cheap by just, you know, logging in whenever I had Wi-Fi uh, sure. instead of keeping, keeping yeah. you know, my phone connected at all times. So I just followed the signs, and as I was following the signs, I realized on my the way to the concentration camp that I was actually wandering down the path that the prisoners marched mm. uh, when they arrived. Okay, yeah. So I followed that path by accident, uh, and it was up a hill, uh, down this narrow stretch. Part of it goes through a forest, um, and and of course I'm wearing a comfortable pair of boots, a yeah. nice wool cap, a a you know, a, a winter coat, uh, and, and, you know, I'm able to go up this thing and you're surrounded by, in, in, in one part of it, you're in this really pretty, uh, residential area there where people have, um, you know, three and four bedroom houses with balconies yeah. and piles of wood in the front. And the contrast between that and the, and where you think you're going is pretty striking. And just as I got up to the top of this hill, where the concentration camp is, is actually built. Yeah. Uh, I, I came into a clearing and there were, there were fields all around me, farm, farm fields. Mm-hmm. And it was really foggy and I heard the sound and I turned to my right and out of the fog comes a man who is cross country skiing mm-hmm. uh, and having a good old time, you know, and yeah. he, obviously he lives here. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. He sees this camp every day. It's not yeah. some exotic thing as it is for me. And he's smiling and his face is, you know, pink from, from sure. exercise. And the, the, the breath is blowing out of his out of his head in this massive cloud. Mm-hmm. And he just greets me, you know, Grüß which is the traditional greeting in, in Austria, mm-hmm. and skis away. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's happening here too, you know. Right. So yeah. so that was that was a signpost, man. <laughs> so that I mean that is that comparable to this turning 50 thing? Would you say it, it's like, much like, more intense? Yeah, it's much more intense. It's, so yeah, it, this, know, turn, yeah, turning 50 is, is yeah, it, you know, there, there's a timestamp on it, but you know, I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, I'm approaching 80 or I'm approaching 90 or I'm approaching a hundred, you know I mean? My grandfather lived to be a hundred years old. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, okay. 99 point. Yeah. Eight, he, he, he died a few months before his hundredth birthday. Uh, you know, so, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not counting that, but, uh, when you do that, when you, when you realize that there was something that you avoided doing in your past out of fear, right. Mm-hmm. Out, out of fear of what it would tell you about you 
Yeah. And then you do it and you realize what it is that you were actually afraid of. That That's much more intense than saying, all right, I'm a half century old. Yeah. Um, and if, if I remember correctly, I, I read that book uh, and you that w- this wasn't a conversation that you could have with your parents very easily. No, no. You could really <clears> have it's not a thing that they wanted anyone. to talk about. The Lithuanian no, he, participation in the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. The the conversation about Lithuania's participation in the Holocaust was a very heavy conversation. It was a yeah. very heavy topic. It was not a topic that um, you brought up at the dinner table at all. Yeah. Right. Uh, it. it I, I describe this in the book that um, when when you know, you're born to that community, uh, you know, certainly in the seventies, I was born in 73 mm-hmm. and you know, you went to Lithuanian school. So, yeah. so you would spend your Saturdays in a building with other Lithuanian Americans learning all kinds of things, including, sure. you know, Lithuanian history. And when you yeah. learned Lithuanian history, you did not learn anything at all about the Holocaust in, um, yeah. in Lithuania. It just didn't exist. It wasn't in the books. So, when somebody faced me with it and, and the, the time when I was faced with it, it was, um, it was at a protest for Lithuanian independence. This was probably in 1990, if I remember correctly. Right. When, uh, when the Soviet Union was falling. When the Soviet Union was falling apart. Yeah. So, so Lithuania would, Lithuania had declared its independence. It would eventually gain independence in 91. Prior to that, we would attend these protests. And this one sure. was in Daly Plaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the purpose of it was to get, the United States to recognize Lithuanian independence. And I had a sign that said something to that, at, to that effect, you know, recognize mm-hmm. Lithuanian yeah. independence now. And I'm wandering around the Picasso mm-hmm. and this man in a dirty trench coat, uh, it was almost like he, 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 he was walking down Washington and he saw me mm-hmm. and he was beaming right towards me. And I could yeah. feel that it was almost like, it was almost magnetic and he came right <laughs> up to me and he was furious and 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 i describe in the book i describe his uh his face as appearing to look like two swollen plums you know yeah. he was so purple furious yeah and he says well you know what about the holocaust what about all the jews that were killed in lithuania how come none of your signs yeah. say anything about that you know and i had no idea what he was talking about absolutely no idea and i asked friends of mine who were you know, protesting just as I was, and we're right around my age. I said, what's this guy talking about? None of them had any idea. Mm-hmm. And of course that made me think, okay, <laughs> yeah. if this man is doing this and he's that pissed off, uh, and none of us know anything about what he's talking about, this requires investigation. And of course, sure. so I, I began and, uh, most of my investigation in the beginning was essentially private. It was it was the kind of thing that I investigated by going to libraries, by talking to historians, uh, people like that. And, and you would started... be, you would be what, about 17, 18 at this point? I was, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was in my late teens. Yeah. Yeah. I was 17 years old. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wow. that, that, that's, that's, that speaks well of you, <laughs> you know, I would say. Well, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm not doing it to brag. I'm doing it because uh, the, this guy had he was really upset yeah and 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 what i noticed about his pain yeah uh was something familiar and and it was the the pain that this man had was similar from from my point of view was similar to the kind of pain that uh people in my community had Mm -hmm. when they were either compared to russians called russian 
or or uh, had their identity dismissed as part of some larger Russian identity. Sure. And that that fury, mm-hmm. that that feeling of being forgotten, that feeling of being invisible, that feeling of not existing. Yeah. Uh, was was immediate you know you could you could sure. you could sense it and, and we were essentially taught to um to propagate to to uh, uh create voice right so that people would know that lithuania exists right because the soviet union had erased it right had had, had sure had taken it off the map it didn't exist on the map uh and so that fear that and that anger that i saw in that man who was a complete stranger to me i don't even know his name I've, yeah. i saw him for 15 seconds of my life. Right. It was immediate. It was completely and utterly familiar. And I knew, I knew what, what that was. Uh, and so because of that familiarity and because of that connection to it, yeah. I think, I think that, I think that's what was the impetus behind it. It wasn't, um, just, you know, scholarly curiosity. It was, yeah. it was more a curiosity about an energy field or something. Well, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's, it had to be a tough moment for you if, you know, you grew up being told this one story about Mm. your people and, you know, every, every ethnicity and every race has these origin stories and what they're proud of and their Mm. kind of the stories of their sufferings. But but very Mm. rarely do any of these people like, you know, America very much included, do they include the, the people that they stepped on to get where they were, you know? No, not at all. And, <laughs> and, and the, the, you know, like the baseline story that you need to begin from when you're discussing American identity is, is one that requires an enormous amount of unpacking before yeah. you can get to some kind of level of reality that, that make, you know, the, the, the entire concept of, well, this is the greatest country in the world. Yeah. You know, streets right are paved now, with gold. Yeah. Sure. Sure. You know, the, Okay, what does great mean? Yeah. Um, and 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 who's measuring that? What's the measuring stick? Where is it? Uh, can I find it? Can we agree that it means the same thing? And 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 of course, when once those questions come up, all of that stuff kind of begins to fall apart, and the conversation that you end up having is completely different from fireworks on July Fourth and you know yeah. apple pie and American football and um, yeah. concussions don't exist. Yeah. And, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not unique to one culture but by, by, by no means. And, and, and cultures like to present themselves to themselves in comfortable ways. And yeah. the harm that we've caused others is uncomfortable. Uh, that's, that, that's not anything that people like to. Yeah. Know, I mean, I'll to, tell to you if, you know, I talk about anything Lithuanians or Lithuania to my parents uh, they have a visceral instant negative reaction because because their context is what Lithuania did to Jews. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's their first that's the first thing out of their mouths. You know, like yeah, uh, <laughs> and that's it, not that's not and that, uh, that's it's the same with, with Polish, Romanian, all these all these uh, republics mm-hmm. that got swallowed mm-hmm. by the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, each sort of competed. For, for atrocities, you know, during that mm-hmm. time, uh, mm-hmm. there's there's an amazing movie made by a Romanian filmmaker called uh, "I Do Not Care If We Go Down in History as Barbarians," and it's about. I am writing that down right now. <laughs> he's yeah, it's an amazing film. It's like one of the best filmmakers working today. His name is Radu Yuda, uh-huh. J U D E, uh-huh. but uh, 
and it's it's contemporary. I mean, it was made five, six years ago, I think, something like that. And uh, mm. it's about this filmmaker that comes to this town to stage a theatrical reenactment of basically what happened during the uh, the World War Two and what mm. Ro- Romanians did to Jews, and that the town people were not happy at all. And it's shot mm. sort of semi documentary style. Mm-hmm. And how these kind of like city fathers were very, very unhappy with her for, for mm-hmm. what she was doing and mm-hmm. trying to uh, get the citizenry to sort of face their own history. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah. And that, yeah, that kind of movie can be made almost almost in any mm-hmm. place towards whatever <laughs> wronged minority yeah. or, or different times in history. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know that there's a culture or a country that's, that's uh, squeaky clean on this score ever, you know. No, there isn't. <laughs> but but there 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 is a difference um, between cultures that face their history with um, some kind of sobriety, and then yeah. cultures that create mythology out of their history. And yeah. the, the the mythology that 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 people create out of their history is really dangerous, frankly. Uh, oh and, sure. And from my point of view. As a writer, I feel like, like you know, a responsible writer, a writer who who has some con- some historical context and some cultural context, can work to um, deal with that in 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 a tangible way and, and and provoke a conversation that either transcends or or dismantles the, the the mythology. In some cases, some cultures have no choice, right? Because yeah. the the atrocity is so grand. And the evidence for it is so um, overwhelming yeah. that there's not much you can do, right? Besides, you know, look at it and say, "Yeah, this happened." Uh, but smaller places that are less well known, or places that are more remote, yeah. or groups of people who ended up, you know, facing an atrocity when there weren't very many people, many of them around in the first place, yeah. they can escape that level of scrutiny. And then it's really easy to build that mythology or, sure. or, or to build propaganda, you know, depending on what word you want to use. I like the word mythology because uh, to me, it's always, there's, there's always some weird spiritual element to it, you know, like, you know, God's people or something. Well, I think it's, it's called, you call it propaganda if you don't believe in it. If, if, mm-hmm. and if it's, if it's something you believe in or you approve of, then it's, then it's your sort of story you know, yeah, that you yeah. tell yourself. But propaganda yeah, yeah. is, uh, you know, by is a mm. is a slur. You know, it's a negative thing. Mm. You don't mm. call something propaganda approvingly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't think of Casablanca <laughs> as a as a propaganda film because you agree with its message. <laughs> or or Forrest Gump, for instance. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> which is exactly. just exactly. which to me, like you know, Forrest Gump is like the triumph of the will for America, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh sure, uh, there's you know it's, it's horrendous. running running across the country on on tennis shoes, yeah, yeah, and yeah, ru- skipping through like happy history and you mm-hmm. know, yeah, it, it's it's horrible, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, it's a uh... well, that's exactly it, right? This so this is why those kinds of narratives are dangerous yeah. uh, because they they create a kind of comfort that doesn't require investigation, yeah, and. Um, you know, I'm an educator and I'm a writer and, 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 and investigation is something that came naturally, naturally to me as a child. I, mm-hmm. I didn't like feeling tricked. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know why, but but I, I was um, very often tricked as a as a child, and so the, the the feeling of wanting to avoid that was was really powerful, and I think it did drive me to a certain kind of reading and a certain kind of scholarship. Uh, and you know, here we are. You know, we're facing this massive global crisis right now. Yeah. Um, you know, environmental calamity. Uh, a, a, an empire that wants to be itself again, even though it doesn't really seem like it can do it without destroying everything. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not the time for myth. You know, this, this, yeah. this is not the time for comfortable narratives about the self and comfortable, comfortable constructs of identity. Uh, this is a time that requires, you know, shifting to a consciousness of, of, scrutiny and shifting to a consciousness of, of, you know, like reality based, <laughs> reality based perception, um, which is becoming rarer and rarer. So, you know, like the thing we need yeah. is the thing that, that is becoming more and more scarce. Um, well, and, the thing and, we need doesn't provide any fucking answers. No, <laughs> no, I, no, and here, I you know, here we're back you know, in this country and in other countries, you know, there's people here that like now believe once again that Hitler had some good ideas, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh, amongst uh -huh. other things. Yeah. There's also, there's people here that believe the earth is flat, you know. Sure. And will argue with you about it. And not, not only they've do done... they believe it, yeah. but they put it on the internet and they make this claim. Yeah. Uh, and expect others to, to respect them as equals. Yeah. Right and say, you know, this is my opinion. No, it's not. It's yeah. not your opinion. It's some sort of fantasy you've developed. You know, and so so somebody's fantasy has to be equal to yeah. uh, someone else's, you know, finite calculation. And, well, you know, I just find that absolutely frightening. But, uh, you know, if, if, if we've learned anything from, you know, our recent previous president, you know, he, mm -hmm. he, he had this, you know, car, every carnival barkers insight is that mm -hmm. if you scream loud enough and you repeat things loud enough, people will listen, people mm -hmm. will notice. And especially a, a, if those a, things make you comfortable And a segment of the population will believe it. No, even mm -hmm. if they know it's not true, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Uh, See, I've, I've gotten to the point where I don't know if, if, there's anyone who knows that the things that the carnival barker of any variety, right? Yeah. If, it's, if it's someone who's running for president, or if it's just you know the the family drunk, yeah. If if they know that those things aren't true, uh, my experience in the community college has mm -hmm. informed this because uh, I I face a lot of students who have very little experience reading and, and, yeah. and very little experience reading anything besides the kinds of things that they were actually required to read or, you know, if yeah. that even happens anymore sure. or uh, text messages from friends. And they believe that certain things are true mm -hmm. when there's no tangible evidence for it actually existing. Right I, now. I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to think of a, a, a of an example that yeah. won't, you know, immediately corner a certain type of person and I'm yeah. not here to to uh to to ridicule anyone I'm here to 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 discuss the danger of a narrative that is false that you believe in as fact yeah uh and a lot of people in our culture gain most of their information from not just bubbles but bubbles that are 
so isolated from every other bubble mm-hmm. that they're not able to communicate with people outside of that bubble and just believe that whatever is coming out of that must be false because yeah. it makes them so uncomfortable. Sure. And and that comfort, but one of the lessons I try to teach is um, a familiarity or, or a, or a um, kind of normal existence uh, within discomfort that I call the comfort of discomfort. Mm. And, and I use, you know, because most of the students that we deal with at community college are really career oriented, right? They're, they're, they're doing it for the purpose of some sort of practical application. Uh, you know, I use the examples of, you know, people who are working jobs and are, are uncomfortable while performing those jobs, you know, like trying to teach 12, kindergartners to read is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, holding a scalpel while a bead of sweat is dripping into your eyeball and, yeah. you know, you've been doing this for, you know, three or four hours is uncomfortable. Yelling, thief, drop that weapon while you're yeah. trying to arrest someone is uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, those are those are uncomfortable situations to be in. And yet, as a person who has chosen a career, you have essentially chosen to enter that space. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've, you've yeah. chosen that level of discomfort. So you have to become comfortable with some level of discomfort. If your goal in the world is to constantly be seeking comfort and, um, you know, some level of, of pleasure, uh, you get, you, you become really susceptible to this kind of stuff, which is that, you know, any bit of information that makes me feel uncomfortable or, 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 or suggests that perhaps I should in fact be changing some, some of my behavior or mm. some, some way of looking at the world that's it's immediately dismissed because it, well, it's making me uncomfortable. So it must be bad. Yeah. Right. It, it, it must be wrong. It must be false. It must be evil. Uh, it, it must be, you know, any, any negative adjective that you want to, to, to connect, to attach to it, because what is the measuring stick? The measuring stick is my personal level of satisfaction and comfort. And that sort of narcissism and, 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 you know, megalomania, frankly, yeah. that's what it is, right, uh, is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just absolutely dangerous. And we're feeding that. We're, we're feeding that fire you know, and everywhere. And do you feel like you, are, you get through at least to, to any of the kids? Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, they're, 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 you know, there's, there are people who come willing to learn and what do I mean by willing to learn? I, I mean, willing to um, to come out of an experience uh, having gained a different identity or or, or mm. some some shade of an identity that didn't exist before. Um, from my from my point of view, education should change you. Yeah, you, know, you 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 should not be whoever you were prior to learning how to use a protractor. Yeah. You know, pr- pr- prior to learning how to do trigonometry problems, uh, a person who can do trigonometry problems mm. is different from a person who doesn't know how to do them in the same way as the person who has not had their morning cup of coffee mm. is not the same person who has had their morning cup of coffee. Right? <laughs> so, so you should be, if you're open to learning, you should be noticing yeah. how it is that you are learning all the time, not just what sort of academic skills have you gained. And quite a few people who come to a community college are open to that lesson and, and yeah. uh, are aware that, yeah, and, and, you know, think about what, um, what you need to do to go to one in the first place, right? You need to, you know, some of these people are, are well into adulthood. 
and have yeah. been working some sort of job for a while. And they're back to get to get requalified. Yeah. yeah, to get. And they're just okay. This isn't working, man. What, yeah. what, whatever's going on here just isn't working, and and so I need right. somebody to help me out or or give me yeah. a, a different path. And so that person is generally pretty open to that lesson. Mm-hmm. Now they bring a skill set that that requires attention in many cases. Yeah. But uh, that lesson isn't frightening to them. It's not strange. Uh, in many cases, they've already gained it mm-hmm. because they've made the decision to 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 change around. Uh, this is especially true in night school. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to love teaching night classes. Mm-hmm. I can't really do them anymore because of my, my kid's schedule. Yeah. But, oh my God, were those classes fun? Because, yeah. you know, you're dealing with someone who has been working all day. Yeah. Uh, in some cases has family obligations. In some cases has, has, has other um, ed- obligations outside of employment or, or mm-hmm. family. And they chose to come to your class and to sit down and to learn how to write college essays, right? yeah. which is what, which is what, what I teach. Yeah. And the average age is a few years older in the, in those classes. And what's extraordinary is that most of those people have lived, you know, they've yeah. done something, they've had a job, they've, they've failed, they've yeah. been fired, uh, and, and gotten through it and have come back from it. So, I felt like I was learning much more in the classroom than anyone was learning for me in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in those environments. What fields so you do get through. Yeah. What fields in, in your college, what are they going for? Uh, generally? There's a lot there. We, we have our own nursing school. So you have mm-hmm. a lot of sure, um, aspiring yeah. nursing students, but then you have a large group that is interested in transferring to get degrees like accounting mm-hmm. business. Uh, you do get the occasional engineer, um, who's interested in, you know, the civil engineering uh, yeah. is, is kind of big, bigger than other forms of engineering. I'll just say that much. Yeah. Uh, what else is on there? Uh, we have a, quite a few people who are interested in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're interested in becoming police. Um, we have a lot of uh, early childhood ed, things like that. So they're there uh, to get all their requirements. They're there to, yeah. they're there, you know, some, some of the programs lead to certificates. Okay. Uh, some, of, some of the programs lead to vocational um, degrees. So, you know, we have an HVAC program, right? Uh, heating, mm-hmm. ventilation, and yeah. air conditioning. We also have recently um, approved a uh, cannabis dispensary technician certificate. Right. Well, right that's where, a, it's a growing industry. Yeah, yeah. It most certainly Exploding. is. Exploding. Mean, so, yeah. um, you know, I'm allowed to take those classes for free, so I'm already investigating. So, you know, like, is, uh, is, is, that, is that your next career after shit? you're going to teach teaching? I'm going to start and, selling open, weed for, yeah. sell, selling weed legally in a, in, a, in a dispensary or opening up my own. Um, you know, why not? But, uh, uh, you know, so, so there's a lot of vocational uh, yeah, stuff that that is powerful, right? It, it 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 changes lives. It gets people on their feet. It changes the way people perceive themselves. It it changes the the kinds of decisions people make about uh, the kind of family structure they can have, the mm-hmm. the amount of kids they can have. You know, sure. so so you know, I see that really really comp. You know, it's 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 a normal part of the job. It's not the kind of stuff that I would experience if I were teaching writing in an MFA program, you know, necessarily. Sure. I mean, I may, you know, maybe I'd see some of it, but you know, 
to, for me, that's standard fare is that a person has come to the classroom because they want to change their lives around. They're, 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 yeah. they're, they're looking for a path that they see as positive. Uh, and you know, that's exciting. It's, it's really exciting and it, and it, and it's humbling Mm-hmm. And and it is a lesson. It's it's a constant lesson. It's a it's a it's a check on the instructor's ego. It's a check on the yeah. the educated man's ego, right? Like, what do you think education is? Why do you feel like you're so educated when, you know, here's a mom who's got three kids, yeah. and has been working jobs for the past six years, and these kids are still fed. They're they're housed. They're doing well. They they are in some cases doing better than mom is, and mom admits this in an essay, mm-hmm. and uh, is willing to share this thing with you openly, right? Okay, yeah. that's you you know if you've got the right set of eyes, yeah. you're learning something, you know, and you're and and, and you're learn you're learning something that you're not going to learn in um, a graduate seminar. Yeah, that seems interesting. I mean, that's so counter to what you were talking about before of people being in their bubbles, you know, because I mean, the the creative writing world is itself a kind of bubble, you know? Oh, it's a very serious bubble. (laughs) You you went, you did that, right? You went to one of those or no? Yeah, yeah, I did. You, I had an MFA did. from Columbia University, uh, right? Yeah, out in New York. So you had that experience too, as for contrast. Most certainly, yeah. Most certainly, most certainly, and and um, I have the I have the experience of um, attempting to work in that field, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in in the actual uh, teaching of creative writing. Yeah, um, which becomes its own. It it, it does become its own. I, I like to use the word closed system, although the yeah. word the word bubble is probably appropriate. It's probably yeah. more appropriate uh, because you, you know some of the, some of the things that you notice, which challenged the very nature of why it was that I wanted to become a writer in the first place. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, magazine. You know, literary magazine number five. Pick pick a number. Yeah. Who's reading it? Aspiring writers who want to be published in literary magazine number six. Yeah. And and when you go to some of these readings and you go to some of these events, who's in the audience? Other writers. Yeah. You know? And Yeah, it's a fucking circle jerk is what it right? is. Right? <laughs> and it's just like, well, wait a minute. Like, what are we doing, man? Who, yeah. You know, who are we reading for? And and what is the purpose of this? And, and is it, you know, is... is is the room full of the people who got invited to the room? Yeah. Or right. have people decided not to enter the room because they've noticed that there is nothing for them in the room? Yeah. Those are good questions. Yeah. <laughs> those are those are really good questions, and those are yeah. questions that um, I've been asking with intensity, uh, certainly, certainly before the pandemic hit, but yeah. once the pandemic hit, it gave me the necessary space to say, you know, what, what, what is this actually all about? This whole writing community or whatever you want to yeah. call it, because um, before the pandemic, you know, you could very easily get together with people in the writing community and hang out and do writing community things. But then mm-hmm. suddenly all of that got shut down, just like everything else got shut down. Yeah. So you still had to uh, cultivate and water the writer's identity right but now it's not 
being done in that space because that space is, has been destroyed. It's, it, it no longer exists. Or if it does exist, it's no longer the same as it was prior to. Yeah. Uh, in some cases that might be the healthiest thing for it, yeah. you know, is, is, is for it to kind of fall apart for a while and see if, if there are, are, are ways for individual writers who used to belong or wanted yeah. to belong or thought belonging was really important to find a voice or to adjust their voices in ways that, that uh, reach outside of that room. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, in my experience, well, specifically with, with book publishing, I mean, to me, mm -hmm. I think that the whole industry is in complete shambles and they mm -hmm. may not know it, but they are, mm -hmm. and they've mm -hmm. got to find some way, new way of being. And they, they don't know that, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but well, they, a, a lot of people in that industry don't seem to think like there's anything wrong. With yeah. <laughs> the way it is. Uh, because if, if something has sold and the way that it is sold been sold. And if somebody wins an award and the way that they've won the award, yeah. then all of that becomes, um, you know, essentially a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And, and everyone gets to celebrate. Or, you know, certain, certainly the players that are playing the game within the game yeah. get to celebrate. Uh, the, the problem occurs when, you know, as I said, why aren't people entering or, you know, you know, why aren't people interested in, um, literary fiction? Yeah. Is it, is it because literary fiction is only about itself? Yeah. Or is it because, you know, we don't, the, 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 the people who are outside of that world just aren't doing something rational or sensible enough to enter that world. And, you know, I just have a problem with the second point of view. It just doesn't seem true to me, especially when there's so much amazing writing in yeah. film and and in and in um you know television in, in what now is considered television right which is you know like streaming series and things. yeah <laughs> uh there's there's really great writing in theater there's there's really really great well there i mean music. those those play that's where the money is and that's those people are hiring actual writers i mean there's tons mm -hmm. of novelists that are writing some of these tv shows you know oh yeah sure Sure. I mean, you, you get like that show Succession is like one after another, like like mm -hmm. Gary Steingart writes for Succession, you know, like there's mm -hmm. a, a lot of them do, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and that's, well, that's, that's a good, that's a good payday. I'm sure. I'm sure old Gary's not complaining about that money, you know, I, I yeah, I certainly wouldn't be complaining about it. Yeah. <laughs> if, 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 uh, if but I that's, were, yeah. Uh, chosen to do that. Where where uh, books or novels fit into the culture is a big 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 question mark. Yeah. Well, novels of some kind. The, the the interesting thing about the novel is that, uh, it you know historically it's a middle class phenomenon. Sure. And it and it and it always was, and then um, the novel it was either superseded by replaced by or conquered by, uh, I don't know which one of those is true, but the fact is that film came along yeah, and film creates the, the, uh, sensation or the illusion that you're getting the same kind of story yeah. in a two hour package yeah. that doesn't require you to read and, uh, still satisfies you in some way. Yeah. Right. So, so film came along and then film became the, the, you know, de facto middle-class art yeah. and the novel kind of fell to the side. The, 
the what what occurred then was that you know the novel said well i have to reinvent myself yeah i have to i have to draw greater attention to myself and so you started getting all these you know postmodern tricks sure in novels that made them seem like oh no you know there are things that a novel yeah. can do that 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 a film can't well that was always true yeah i mean if you're you're not going to get the same out of a film called great expectations as you will out of the book great expectations i mean it's yeah i mean you can the go size of a brick man. you can go back to the beginning of novels you can read tristram shandy and you'll see every postmodern trick yeah, yeah, that, exactly. that was or, ever or, done yeah. You know, or, or or the uh, Don, Don Quixote. Quixote, yeah, yeah, right. You know, or it's, uh, it, it's or the, Deca the, the Decameron, stuff. or like all the mm -hmm. stuff that was the beginning of you know fiction, or what that mm -hmm. people consider, yeah. Or what, yeah, what what became considered to be a a topic of conversation within some sort of literary theory, you know, that yeah. occurred, I don't know, in the mid '60s or early '70s, sure. or something like that. With, you know, certain things I noticed, you know, when I was, when I was going to UIC and I, I started college at UIC and I took some writing classes when I, when I went mm -hmm. there, uh, you know, you'd get some literary theory, Sure. somebody would present some sort of literary theory. And then the next thing you know, is that classmates of yours would be writing stories to try to adhere to that literary theory, Yeah. which stunned me. Right. Because the theory seemed to be a reading theory. It was, it was a way of looking at something that had been written. Mm -hmm. But now it transformed into a mode by which you should write in order to be accepted mm -hmm. by the group of people who presented the theory to you. Yeah. Right? And I was very, very harshly against that yeah. in my own in my own writing. I, I naturally rebelled against that and said, there's no yeah. way in hell I'm going to adhere to, you know, either an aesthetic or a cultural theory that is presented as a means by which one becomes accepted. Mm -hmm. You know, I just I just had had an enormous problem with that when I was very young, when I was, you know, 18, 19 years yeah. old. Uh, and so my writing, I think has never really adhered to any of that stuff. Um, yeah. and I'm happy to say that I don't feel like I should ever do that ever. In my <laughs> um, but you know, some people will disagree and say, well, why don't you have, you know, theory number five available on page 78? Well, because I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, simple. Your your big book, the the fugue, is in a certain way a, a very old fashioned kind of book. Oh yes. Yeah. And, Consciously so. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, when I read that book, I, I got all those same kind of like feelings, you know, that I got mm. reading, say, like a Dostoevsky. You know, it's a big sprawling. There's a lot of characters in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that... the the difference is that I divide it up into episodes that are, yeah. you know. Uh, modern i guess yeah. is the word you know that the, they're they're the length there allows for a sign a kind of partition of of the narrative but when i started writing that book that's what i thought a novel was i i, right. I, I was naive in the sense that that i didn't know that the industry and that the culture mm -hmm. was was um set against books like those right uh, or, and and that the economics of um of publishing was such that books like those couldn't really function anymore. I had no idea about that. I, I yeah. set about writing the kind of book that I liked. Uh, and I set about, I set about writing the kind of thing that I would really like to read. The funny you thing know, that is was... that really like the very few quote unquote literary 
you know, fiction kind of books that really break through and sell a lot, which is very, very mm-hmm. few, mm-hmm. are for the most part adhered Massive. to <laughs> v- very old, uh, yeah, yeah, old kind of ideas. I mean, like those Jonathan Franzen books are, mm-hmm. are very, very old fashioned in a way, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, the, well, what he's doing in those well, books. You know, what do we consider yeah. old fashioned, right? You know, let's, let's, Let's use like, I don't mean that as a bad thing. It's just no, no, not a, and I don't either. I don't, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm a literature student. I've, I've yeah. been reading books that are, that are, that, that have survived for centuries because of something. Yeah. You know, for a reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the old fashioned, you know, one old fashioned thing or one thing that's considered old fashioned is, from my point of view, really simple making sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Writing a sentence. That yeah. a person can read, yeah, without having taken literary theory class number seventeen. You right. Know, from my point of view, that's an invitation into the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a seductive move. That means yes, I want. I'm inviting you in. I'm I'm setting a table for you. Yeah. There's there's a there, there's a plate here with a fork and a knife and a napkin. You're comfortable. You can sit down. You can have a meal. And I want you to be here. Okay. Now, for, for a lot of people, that's considered an old-fashioned move, right? What, mm-hmm. what should happen instead is that some sort of weird experience should take place that immediately identifies itself as other than what you're used to. Yeah, that signals you know? that you're dealing with art. You're not dealing yeah, and with that I'm like very anything serious that about you that. could understand as a, yeah. as a nor- whatever regular person. Mm-hmm. It should, as, yeah, it has to be as a, a person realm. who, yeah, let, let, let's 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 call it what it is a person who would really like to sit down and read, yeah, okay, like that's a if that's a regular person, congratulations, man, you know, yeah. sit down and read, sit, sit down by a window with a cup of tea and read for 10 or 15 minutes every day, you know, yeah, are there people who would like to do that? Yes, man, most certainly, yes, and, and for are, the and, and, but for the most part, for those people, that what's being offered to them is. It's not, I mean, you know, well, you know, Stephen King is what's mm. being offered to them, mm. who is very, very mm. skilled at spinning yarns. And he, you know, it's endless variations on, on, on his themes. You know? mm-hmm. And I guess some are better than others. I haven't read a Stephen King book in probably 30 years, so I don't know where he's at right now. But, you know, he puts out a book a year or whatever. He's a, uh-huh. a writing machine. And people yeah, love yeah. those books, and he sells millions of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so somebody out there is buying those things. You know, and well, but okay, he's he's really good at freaking you out, and he's and he's yeah. really good at at uh, making you feel like something that cannot possibly ever take place is actually taking place, and mm-hmm. and and you are involved in it somehow. You know, yeah. So so. You know, from that point of view, wow, wow. You know, I, 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 I tip my hat and say that's that, that that's an energy field that um that is powerful. Yeah. But you know, like the kid, the, the stuff my kids are reading. Um, you yeah. know, my daughter certainly reads more than than my son does. Although um the you know the boy requires some some attention, but he eventually gets to to reading once I find him the right mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but the the books that they're reading, you know, my daughter recently got into Dune. Mm. Okay, and. Why did she get into Dune? She got into Dune because she saw the film mm-hmm. and she developed a crush on Paul Atreides. Okay. So like th- that was enough for her to, to yeah. get into Dune. And so I went in some old box that I had in a closet. You found your copy of Dune. Up, yeah. Found all my copies of Dune and put them on her shelf and said, here, knock yourself out. Right. 
and we had a conversation one morning over breakfast about folding space and, mm. and, and why that's a cooler concept than um, jumping into hyperspace mm. in Star Wars, you know. Uh. Now, I mean, that's how I got into books. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I got into books because uh, I liked James Bond. Um, I mm. liked Tom Sawyer. I liked, I liked uh, Huck Finn. Uh, so I you liked, liked adve- you liked uh, adventure. Oh yeah, I read yeah. I read you know I read the the um the chronic the Chronicles of Pridian. I'm trying to get my kid my son into um into the Chronicles of Pridian, which is the Lloyd Alexander series of. Oh, okay, yeah, I never yeah. read those. Yeah, but those I, are those I are a big cool, man. Sci-fi fantasy guy. Mm-hmm. See, in contrast to your daughter, I. I, I think I got through twenty or thirty pages of Dune and never picked it uh-huh. up again. I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't have a great reading experience by by reading Dune, but I certainly had a, an interesting um, community experience because oh. there were people in school who were also reading it. Oh, really? And, oh, okay. Yeah, and so you know, so it was it was it was a conversation about um, the politics of Dune and the relationships between the people and you know dune gives you gives you a spiritual realm in which you can Mm. make predictions about how things are going to play out and for a for a 13 14 year old boy Mm -hmm. uh together with other 13 and 14 year old boys who really liked doing things like playing role-playing games i was gonna i was just gonna bring up dungeons and dragons yeah yeah. that was my next big nerd man Big, big. So you movie. like you like the Dungeons and Dragons. See, that's oh my God. that's the that's the divide. Is I I tried mm-hmm. it once or twice and was co- very put off by it. Mm-hmm. I I did not enjoy it. You didn't have the right dungeon master. Right. Sure. <laughs> you you needed a dungeon master. Who that's did more, that's like you know, yeah. Psilocybin. Right. Or no, whatever. no, no. Uh, yeah, it was not for me. But I was never a nerd. <laughs> you know, like I was I was some kind of weird outcast, but a nerd I was mm-hmm. not. You know. Mm-hmm. Emphatically, no, I was a nerd. I still am a nerd. I, I, I no, it's fine. I mean, you know, as probably. long as you're happy, as long as it's yes. not like a source of trauma for you or anything. No. <laughs> and the funny thing, well, speaking certainly. speaking about old movies, like we started on uh, Dead Poets Society, like yeah. rewatch like Revenge of the Nerds, like which is a weird dated document from the '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, but yeah. it, you know, it was from a time when you know the quote unquote nerds were picked on and they were like the butt of jokes, but uh-huh. those you know, they won. They uh-huh. ruled the earth. Like you got they a nerd won. right now who is about to take over Twitter and turn it into like Ayn mm-hmm. Rand speaks or whatever the fuck he's going to do. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> like the, the nerds. So won like completely, you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, such... <laughs> I think it was Warren Buffett who said this. I don't, I don't remember who actually said this, but I know that it's one of those people. Uh, it was like, you know, don't make fun of nerds because you might end up working for one one day. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we all do one way or another. Right. You know, know, so, so, you know, a person who sits around and meticulously thinks about, uh, you know, should this room in the dungeon have six goblins in it or, you know, or, or, or two orcs in it. Yeah. You know, like that guy is going to later be thinking, all right, so should every wheel have its own motor or should yeah. the car have one motor that is attached to yeah. four wheels? You, you know, f- Fucking world builders. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the, the construction of a universe, you know. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is why those books were so, were so fascinating to me is that they were, they were 
simultaneously expressions of escape and of control. And for a young man of, you know, of, of my upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, who was dealing with war trauma and alcoholism yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, family strife and all these yeah. things, uh, escape and control were very important themes yeah. and Dungeons and Dragons and all of these fantasy realms offered both immediately and, uh, then my writing, right, the, 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 the retreat to the written word yeah. uh, offered that too. Um, in retrospect, I realized that that was a massive limitation on my writing. Uh, were were your uh, early efforts like, you know, space, space operas or? <laughs> no, I didn't do that kind of stuff. I did, I did, uh, I, I wrote a lot of stories within stories, a lot of like Rubik's cube types of Mm. types of things when I was, um, when I was, uh, a teen. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote, I wrote a novel when I was 13, you know, what does that mean? I mean, I, I I wrote a, about a 65,000 word text when I was 13 years old that was typed and that I typed on an old IBM typewriter. I have it in a box somewhere. Um, (laughs) and it was, it was a fusion of, um, two things of like a like a camping and fishing adventure story mm-hmm. with a spiritual judgment story. So there were there was this panel of judges who who had decided to destroy the earth because mm-hmm. of its immoral ways, and then there's a young man who is presented with the chance of telling the um, this panel of spiritual judges a story that is really hard to believe, mm-hmm. and so. He saves the day by spinning this yarn about a fishing story mm. that that spans I don't know fifty thousand words or something, and at the end of the book, uh, the Earth is not destroyed. So it's got the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in it. It's yeah. got Lithuanian um, folk tales in it. It's got experiences that I had fishing and camping in it. You know, and all of that is kind of fused together. And and for a thirteen year old, this was all really really cool. Well, you know, um, once once HBO, you know. Uh, you know, films the miniseries based on the fugue. Some, you know, Nick, <laughs> n- and you're a big, That'd be cool. and you're a big uh, showrunner. You know, you'll pitch mm-hmm. Nickelodeon or whoever does kids stuff on this uh-huh. thing, and they'll make a animated whatever. Yeah, yeah, you, you could know? turn it into one of those man. interactive turn, yeah, role, my, my interactive game. Novel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could turn it into a video game. Like exactly, right. yeah. That's you where the real money is. Bass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I hear it. Yeah, if you want to make real money as a writer, you write uh, scenarios games. and narratives for video games. You know, <laughs> like and you and yeah, and you turn them into uh, you know like morality plays. Sure. Yeah. You because a lot of these video games have all kinds of moral questions in them these days. I'm sure. Yeah, that's a world I know nothing about. I, I stopped video games with Tetris was the last mm. game I played with any regularity. So. Mm. <laughs> I play, I play some games. I play, yeah. I play FIFA, the soccer game. Oh, okay. As a, um, as a, as an evening unwind, uh, and then I play a game called City Skylines, which is it's almost like Sim City, but it's a little bit different. So you, you build a city, uh-huh. and you you know, make sure the economics don't go out of whack, that the industrial space doesn't go out of whack. Oh, you build you out, you, you're green. building buildings and stuff. You're, you're building a city, right? Yeah, so you, yeah. you, you tell the computer where the yeah. commercial properties should go. So I, I'll, I'll play that game. Huh. But uh, I haven't played, 
any of these first person shooter games or yeah. or the games where you're a character who has to solve missions. I haven't played any of those in years and years. I watched uh, the other the other day. There's this new uh, documentary about uh, Alexei Navalny. You know the the guy that oh, was yeah. trying yeah. to trying to run against Putin who's sitting in jail now but yeah. uh yeah, just, he's in the joint right but there's all these shots of him like playing like first person shooter games like mm-hmm. to relieve mm-hmm. tension it, it's kind of creepy it is creepy where where you know like his what he's doing is a, a real <laughs> you know, real version yeah, of that yeah. like he's oh, in yeah. there oh yeah oh yeah it's a bizarre oh, yeah. Good, bizarre that, wor- bizarre world that's that's the world we're in right where <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how far away we are actually from having a portion of the society decide that's it. I'm entering virtual reality full time. Well, know? Zuckerberg and, has built it for you. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's got a thing where you can just live in there. Mm-hmm. That metaverse thing. That's, that's what it's SimCity full time. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want this anymore i want my own there, there's there's a an episode of star trek or i think it's one of the films in which uh captain kirk has been cat has been captured into this some sort of utopia uh-huh. and uh picard has to go in there and get him out and you know it it, it the, the the version of utopia that that it presents is so it's almost like the garden of eden or something mm-hmm. you know it's this place where there's no suffering and nature is perfectly clean yeah. and all of that. And you think, all right, well, wait a second. So if that's what you guys want, all right. Yeah. Can't you do it? <laughs> You're like, what? You don't need a computer for that, man. You know, there are other ways yeah. of getting about it. Yeah. A but, lot, a lot more, a lot messier. Yeah. It's a lot mm. more than a few clicks on a mouse. Yeah. To do no. it, to do it the other way. Uh, mm. I don't know. Well, yeah, no, no, but I mean socially. I mean, you yeah. know, as a collective, as a, yeah. as, as a group. Like, if that, if it's truly, if that's really what we wanted, yeah, I think we would get it. But we don't want that. No, we no, want, we want something else. We want, uh, you know, Susan Sontag uh, said in a in a speech that, um, you know, if we really didn't like war, we would have given up on it centuries ago. Absolutely, but, yeah. You know. We we keep coming back to it because it, it it it's it's clearly something that we enjoy. You know, it's clearly something that at least we think we can use to our advantage. People have always done it. As as soon mm-hmm. as they formed societies, they started fighting with each mm-hmm. other, and, and yeah, we can't seem to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's the easiest way to a resource. Yeah. Um. You know the the beginning of two thousand one, where the 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 early human. Um, discovers that a bone can crush a skull right yeah and decides all right we need water we're going to go over there and we're just going to kick all these all these asses over here and now the water's ours and we did it by creating a tool yeah um you know i i don't see that we've evolved very far from that no 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 the the toys have gotten more sophisticated Mm -hmm. the tools Mm -hmm. yeah we have have very very high-tech bones to to bash each other Mm -hmm. over the head with for sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yes and they're only going to get more high tech. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, my my only like you know now you know with the with the the Russian war you know people have like come and ask me because I'm from that God for fucking sake and country uh, mm-hmm. like as if I have some kind of insight. The only insight mm-hmm. is I have is to like now maybe people will stop asking me why 
I've never been back yeah. there and never <laughs> would go back, you know? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. fuck them, and it's obviously some kind of last ditch act of, des- of desperation of a failing mm-hmm. society, you know. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you know he's 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 trying to turn his country into fucking North Korea, you know. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> he's succeeding to some degree. Yeah, there's uh, people fleeing all the like no. the people with brains, you know, are leaving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they yeah, have a people. People are exit. people are, you know. I, I know quite a few Russians, and and the, 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 that's not a foreign culture to me, despite the fact that I've never spent, I've never actually been on Russian soil. Um, yeah, I've just dealt with Russians a lot in my life, and I've read a bunch of Russian books, and and then I speak enough Russian to tell a cab driver where to go. Yeah, uh, you know the the, the the idea that most of them have been brainwashed and don't actually know what's going on. Yeah, uh, I find hard to believe. Um, I certainly know that there are a lot of Russians who are in denial and, and are just dealing with grief in the way that people deal with grief when they face it. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of them are quite aware of what's going on. And um, people who can leave are certainly either thinking about it or doing it. Yeah. But so. I mean, yeah, the, you know, the, the, the information, the, you know, the blocks on information are very real. So if well, you they're quite real. Yeah. If you don't try very hard, then it's very easy not to get any actual news there, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that was a situation during the Soviet Union. And I'm sure it was a yeah. situation during the time of the czars. Uh, and it's always been, you know, they've always loved their strong men and they always mm-hmm. have had a, this kind of beleaguered like world again is set against us thing Mm -hmm. and how we're going to restore Russia to its former glory, a glory that never was, you Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. just never was, you know, they're, they're Mm -hmm. good at some things. They're good at writing books. It's a beautiful language. (laughs) You know, well, they're, they're, (laughs) I I had a professor in grad school who um, actually went through it and I I don't want to mention his name, but he, he called it the Russian moment, hmm. uh, which was essentially the mid to late 19th century. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And then prior to that, okay, name a Russian book. Yeah. And then after that, name a Russian book. Yeah. Uh, there are a few books that pop up um, if you're if, if you have some awareness of you know Soviet literature, then there. Are yeah. Some books yeah. There's some good stuff in 20th century, but a lot of it was not published till many decades later. Yeah. And some of it is satire. Sure. That that you, that you know isn't going to work in the same level as you know Tolstoy or something. You know, yeah, I like all the Pelevin in mind when I, when I think. Yeah, about most it. of the great Soviet era writers were writing children's books or translating mm-hmm. because that's all they could do as far as self-expression. Uh-huh. You know. So there it is. So the you know this idea of the great Russian novel. Yeah. Well, it's a nineteenth-century yeah. novel. Yeah. That. Uh, was heavily influenced by Russia's relationship to, you know, France and, France and, Germany, and other yeah. parts of, of Western Europe uh, yeah. and that died out very quickly uh, sure. as soon as the the um, October Revolution took place. So, yeah. you know, even even that argument is is uh, difficult to make. Um, yeah. Now, granted, those are some of my favorite books. I mean, um, yeah. You know, you know, Dostoevsky is certainly a writer that who he. I forgive him many things because yeah. of the things that he is. Yeah, given. speaking of flawed and you know, in, in the yeah. uh, current horrible parlance, problematic. 
you know problematic problematic yeah, yeah. He's, Prob- yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm able to forgive him yeah. many problems because of the sincere attempt he he displays to try to get to a kind of place that um would have would 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 have extraordinary consequences if more of us could get to it, you know, or at least try sure. to get to it, you know, like like some level of sincerity or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, why do I like Tolstoy? I just think that he's. I just, I I just think that you know, for a guy who was as privileged and as and as you know, culturally isolated as he was theoretically at least, mm-hmm. um, he really gets into a. Uh, awareness of what it means to be alive that other people don't have and 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 don't even aren't really all that interested in 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 exploring yeah yeah Uh, so yeah there's you know those are great books those are phenomenal books and 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 you know the russians should be proud of them and dostoevsky should be on the money but um you know, che- it, Chekhov, it, it, it Chekhov, Chekhov is another, is another is, big is really one on yeah yeah but there's a lot i mean there's a bunch in that in that short time and then there's, you know, not to mention poetry. Poetry is a big, big thing. Akhmatova. Oh, yeah. I mean, actually, one of one of the fun pandemic uh, hobbies me and my dad had was he would send me, for months, he was sending me like a poem a day that just oh, cool. from, from his things, from his books or like he was just finding. And then mm-hmm. I was reading them and then I actually recorded, recorded some, reading some of them, then typed out some of them, made like a, like this folder, like zine kind of thing out of them. Mm. That was an interest. Mm. That was a way for me to brush up on my Russian, you know, but it's, it's quite a tradition that the Russian poetry mm. tradition started with starting with Pushkin, of course. But mm. yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it's not a com- it's not a complete black hole, that country I'm from, but uh, <laughs> a lot of it is very, very bad. <laughs> yeah. The point I'm making is that, you know, there it, the things that we that we value about anything, and Russia certainly included, very often are things that occur at moments. Yeah, right. They're they're, they're, oh, sure. they're things that they're things that 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 um that represent an epoch of some kind. You yeah, know, or a, or a, or a, or a time period of some kind, and then the narratives we construct about spaces and the narratives we construct about identity. Uh, milk that thing, yeah, and turn it into into a whole instead of instead of a part, yeah. Uh, and the the reverse is true too. You know, the bad thing, yeah, that 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 exists in an identity or in a culture, yeah, is also often limited to a period or a or a population or something like that. Now, with Russia, the history of Russia's treatment of its neighbors is pretty consistent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh... I mean, it's, it's, it's that's not something that you can say. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, in the fourth century they did this one thing, but they've been all right since then. No, well, that, that's the funny thing too. Yeah, also and internally to their minority populations, mm-hmm. which oh yeah, even yeah. yeah during you know the workers' paradise of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. like you know, mm-hmm. like for instance, you know, my father as a Jew, his mm-hmm. choices in in academia were very very limited. He was told more or less to his face that there was fields that he would not be allowed in because there was a quota. So mm-hmm. he had to go into math because that was available. And he mm-hmm. had a whole career mm-hmm. being a teacher and a mathematician, which he may not have chosen had he had mm-hmm. other options. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, so exactly it. It's like, here, here's the, here's the box of pegs. 
find one, yeah. plug it in, and call it a life, you know? Right. Uh, you know, yeah, so yeah, you, we started talking about you, like, coming up on this 20-year uh, anniversary of teaching, and, you know, my mm -hmm. father was, I don't know, uh, he wouldn't say this forced into teaching, but, you know, he had a kid on the way, he had to get married, because my mom was mm -hmm. pregnant with me. Mm -hmm. Who knows how his life would have turned out if that wasn't the case, and he wasn't in a country which severely restricted his occupational options, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, he, yeah. yeah, if you ask my parents, like, they would never let me call myself Russian ever. I'm mm -hmm. like, you're a Jew. They would you're tell me. I didn't know what the fuck yeah. that was, really, and they really mm -hmm. didn't either because they weren't allowed to practice that. They tried yeah. when we got to America, but with mm -hmm. with very mixed results you know but uh yeah I so was, you didn't you weren't like synagogue going from age six or whatever uh they yeah i mean we got here i was seven when we got to america mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh very quickly we were you know quote unquote adopted by a synagogue so oh, okay. just like these like you know so soviet jewry you know like these you know <laughs> you know foreign urchins that like mm -hmm. the like the wealthy suburbanites, you know, could feel good about themselves by mm -hmm. taking into their fold. Mm -hmm. And it was fucking gross. And I didn't like it. Uh -huh. I, I never liked uh -huh. it. But, you know, I, I, I stayed, I struggled through it until, you know, bar mitzvah time. And then I, I gave up. Uh -huh. But yeah. my parents, you know, they like, you know, like my mom lights candles, a candle every, every Friday, you know, for Shabbat. Mm -hmm. But she, she wasn't, you know, they were 30 when they got here. They, mm -hmm. they, if you don't have those traditions, you know, from yeah, childhood, yeah. it's very hard start to start feeling appropriated. Well, it's not, you know, sentimentalized. yeah, they don't have the, the language or the, the, the past, you know, like to build on so they, and they, they, uh, kind of glued it together the best they could, but it never, you know, for their kids, it never took, you know, uh -huh. Oh, uh, sure. Well, for the kids, for for that to take probably requires a larger culture than every Saturday. Yeah. You know, it, it probably requires all the neighbors to be doing it. Or, or Yeah. And there, when we thing. got uh, to America in the late 70s, there was not uh, a community, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one mm -hmm. of the reasons, I, you know, I learned English so quickly. I mean, I was in ESL mm -hmm. for a couple of years, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at, at seven years old, you're just a sponge. So yeah, yeah. you learn very quickly. But um, I, I didn't speak a word of English. Well, okay, that's not true. I spoke, I, I knew some words in English. I knew the alphabet mm -hmm. and I knew the colors, but I didn't really understand that this was some sort of alternative system. Yeah. Uh, so when I went to kindergarten, I remember my earliest days in kindergarten were really weird. It was these people making these sounds with their mouths and mm -hmm. I had to look at them and think, okay, I have no idea what's going on. But then within a few months, I was in a reading group and I was, uh, you know, bringing books home from the library and yeah. you know, sh showing them to my, to my elders. And it was almost regular. Uh, but th there are certain things in English that are still strange to me. And I think I attribute them to that kind of an upbringing. Um, yeah. Words that end in the sound shun, like T-I-O-N. Yeah. S-I-O-N or C-I-O-N. I never know the difference between any of them. Mm. Uh, and I need to spell check that always and pay close attention. And there are other things that that the phonetics of Lithuanian mm. make seem strange 
in English, which is, you know, yeah. as bizarre as it is. But, uh, you know, now, of course, you know, no one can tell. But at the time, it was pretty, it was pretty striking. But it also, I mean, I think, you know, uh, people that, uh, writers who don't write in their birth language, they have a particular, like, they have a way of uh, being more open and creative about it in a certain way, mm-hmm. because it, it is sort of the other and it's foreign. Uh, and some of the uh-huh. best, you know, writers in English are not native, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. sure. You know, you, you think sure. of some of them like Nabokov, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, more recently like mm-hmm. Sasha Hammond, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah. learned, he learned, I mean, he, he his case is kind of remarkable because he was, you know, he was an adult practically. Yeah, yeah. He taught yeah, himself yeah. that and he became a well-known writer in English, uh-huh. which is kind of crazy. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, it is pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, like if I decided, all right, I'm going to try to do it in German now because I, yeah. I, I speak enough German to have a normal conversation with, you know, grammatical errors. Yeah. Uh, but I would never try to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to try and write a novel in German. Maybe that's what I should do. I should try to write <laughs> a, a novel in German. Yeah. I would keep myself occupied. Yeah. I would never attempt to write something in Russian. I mean, the only. I even got a, a Russian typewriter to do these to type out these Russian poems that my my dad was sending me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, to actually like a manual one, yeah. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, it's a yeah. I found one on eBay. It's a Smith Corona. Uh, it's great. I, I love it. I mean, it's a toy, you know. But at this mm-hmm. point, but I love I love playing around with it. Uh, but yeah, I my vocabulary my vocabulary in Russian is so much more limited than it is in English because I didn't grow up mm-hmm. with Russian friends. I only spoke Russian mm-hmm. with my parents, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. who wants to build an identity of based on your parents, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Cooties, man. I know. I know. So what, uh, yeah, I guess we should uh, start wrapping this up, but, uh, okay. what, what are you working on now? Or do you talk about those things or is it a big se- um, top secret? It's, it's not top secret. Um, I'm, I'm working on, I, I just wrote a textbook. Oh, uh, wow. That, that I took, I took a sabbatical to write a textbook. So I, so I wrote a textbook and right now I'm, I'm looking for someone who might be interested in it. Mm. Um, and then I have, I have some projects in mind that have to do with, uh, this, this idea that I was talking about earlier about inviting more people into the room. Mm. Um, finding ways, finding ways of writing to people who generally don't read literary fiction and don't know anything at all about it. Yeah. Uh, Or, you know, the kind of nonfiction that passes for creative nonfiction. Sure. So what I've been doing is I've been parsing through the major themes that, that those kinds of books and those kinds of things deal with and how they deal with them. Mm. I'd say over the course of the past 50 years, mm-hmm. maybe longer. Yeah. And I'm trying to find ways of um, exiting that, but also also creating a way of, of, of dealing with it. So right now, I guess I'm kind of searching for an aesthetic or, mm. or, 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 or some kind of uh, some kind of mode. Yeah. But um, some of it's been pretty interesting and, and I'm excited about it. The most important thing I think that I'll, I'll say is that uh, I went through phases, right? I went 
when I first started writing, I wrote the kinds of things that I wanted to write mm-hmm. or that I wanted to read. Yeah. Then I tried publishing and publishing kept telling me, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. You yeah. can't do that. You can't do that. And so I tried to do the thing that publishing said I should be doing. Yeah. Uh, that led nowhere. Right. And so now I'm back to writing the thing that I would really like to read. Uh, yeah. And of course, I'm a different person now than I was when I was in my mid twenties. So the yeah. kind of thing I'd like to read is quite different. But um, I'm excited about it. And if you, if nothing comes of it except for me passing the time in a room by myself, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> right? I have no. Well, problem I mean, with the that. the only good thing about the current uh, publishing whatever situation mm-hmm. is that it's never been easier to just put something out there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you, you know, you could throw up your book on Amazon in in about an mm-hmm. hour right now. Yeah, sure. You know, like if you wanted sure. to. Um, and yeah. and I would probably reach the same people that I would reach if I, you know, published it with somebody else. Because some of these yeah. books that come out, you know, people say, "Oh, yeah, I got this book." Mm-hmm. All right, but when you take a look at the numbers, it's like, all right, six hundred people bought this, or six hundred yeah. copies sold. Um, my self-published book sold over a thousand. Yeah. You know, so right. Um, what game are we actually playing? Whom are we trying to impress? Well, what that's, club yeah. do we want to belong to? Um, I've kind of jettisoned all of those, all of those um, yeah. requirements, and and I'm I'm just trying to do something that 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 you know the the idea is I, I when I write I like to be sincere and fearless, and mm-hmm. then that's what I'm working on is sincerity and fearlessness. You know uh, that that's that that's where I'm sitting right now, and. Um, the, the the amount that I write to, for me right now is not as important as the energy field that I inhabit when I'm doing it. And uh, for the first time in a long time, the energy field feels really, really good. What's the what's the textbook that you've finished? Or... It's called um, What is a College Student? And it oh. targets people who uh, have decided that they want to, they want to try college when yeah. they are the very first person in the history of their family to yeah. make that decision. So in oh, other that's words, cool. It, it's targeting people that I've been teaching for many years. Yeah. And it assumes that your upbringing didn't give you a basic context for how the environment works. Mm -hmm. So the textbook isn't just a textbook about thinking skills. It's also a textbook that orients the student to the culture of college and the customs of college and expectations. I think that's valuable. I mean, I think, Hopefully you find somebody a home for this thing. Um, I'm really hoping that somebody's interested in it because, uh, you know, I could turn it into an open access yeah. kind of thing, but um, that has more limitations than people realize. Yeah. Uh, when you when you have some people backing it, you yeah. can actually reach uh, larger groups of educators who might become interested. Yes, uh, and the way I wrote it had publishing cost in mind. Yeah, uh, I, I wrote a book that is about 62,000 words, mm-hmm. um, doesn't have any color graphs in it at all. No, yeah. you, you, you can you can do it in the cheapest possible way. Right. Um, and make it affordable to essentially any college student. Yeah. Uh, certainly a college student that, you know, has a book voucher or a Pell Grant or something would, would, yeah. would be able to, uh, to to handle this book. And uh, and it it. It's targeting a group of people whom 
who who are not generally targeted by by textbooks. I, I've never encountered one. I've never encountered a textbook yeah. that is that has a first generation college student in mind. Uh, and so when I realized that that doesn't exist, I got excited and figured, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write one. So I I wrote that and yeah. and, and I'm trying to sell it. That's cool. So, so do you? Do you ever see yourself going back to fiction at some point, or is that done? <laughs> is that no, fiction isn't done. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I, I, I am. I, I did get into quite a bit of nonfiction in recent years, just because yeah. people kept asking me for it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm the kind of writer who will give you something if you ask me for it. So. Uh, and there's nothing nicer than to be asked. Let me tell yeah, you. <laughs> like somebody says, "Can you write this for me?" I'm, yeah. yeah, sure. But no, I have not. I have not abandoned fiction. Um, yeah. I I love writing it, and I love reading it, and I love experiencing it. And I think fiction is really valuable, yeah. especially now. Um, telling yeah. some stories would be great. But um, the modes in which I'm operating are a little bit different, right? So, uh, if I if I sit down to write a novel again, and and my wife tells me that I owe her one, oh, so, so I'm that's I, a, that's a that's a good incentive. Yeah, she you, said you don't you want to owe disappoint. Me a novel. You don't. No, I can't. Want to disappoint no. your wife? No, 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 no. no. You, so I have to, I have to get cracking there somehow. But if I, if, if I set down to do that again, yeah. um, the mode of what I do is different because I've written two already. Well, I've written yeah. more, but I've published yeah. two already. So, so that 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 changes the the daily relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also these days I have maybe an hour or two a day to write. Uh, right. so it requires a certain kind of efficiency that, um, prior to having kids, I didn't need, yeah. uh, and prior to the pandemic, I didn't need, uh, so, you know, it's like, oh, wow. I can tell that I was really tired when I wrote this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, sure. So yeah. When I go back to edit, it's like, oh, wow, I was pretty exhausted. Uh, but I'm 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 working on I'm working on um, prose yeah. that I hope um, will be attractive to people who who uh, were wondering why do all of these literary fiction things say things that I don't understand. Um, mm. I'm trying to get to that point. Yeah. Well, cool. I I'll look forward to reading some of that at mm. some point. Mm. <laughs> I hope to publish some or, or to get it out somehow. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's, uh, oh, thanks for inviting it's fu- me. This it was fun. fun. Yeah, I knew. Uh, yeah, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches. I've decided to launch this pro- or relaunch this project. And like mm-hmm. I sent out emails uh, to a bunch of different kinds of people and mm-hmm. they all said yes. So now I have, a, I have a ton of work on my hands, but it's a, well, it's, a, it's, a it's a good problem to have. Well, I'm I'm thankful to be included, and um, I look forward to seeing who else gets to talk, uh, and I will listen listen dutifully. Yeah, I, I'll let you know. I'll I'll send you a, a link once it's up. I think, uh, yeah, I'm running. I'm publishing them once a week on mm-hmm. Wednesdays, and I I think towards the end of May uh, at at mm-hmm. the current rate is when this one will go up. Okay, cool, cool. Sounds excellent. All right, talk again soon. Thank All you right. so much. Cheers, dude. Have Bye. A good night. Bye.